we've been talking about God first. God first. And what does a God first life look like? What does a God first look like? We have a lot of different uh, approaches to life in our world. So, so uh, we have people in the world that it's a me first positioning. That everything's about me, that I operate everything, I make all of my decisions out of me, what is best for me, what is best for my interest, what is best for what I'm wanting, <coughs> and uh, that's a me, uh, that's a me centered life, a me-centered world. Uh, We have a lot of teaching, a lot of training, a lot of approaches uh, in that world that it it really doesn't matter about other people. It just really kind of matters about me. And so a me-centered life has the world trying to always, that the world in your mind has to realign itself to you has to realign itself to you and what you want and how you think and and how you feel and how you believe. And so we very much live in a me uh, world around us uh, where it's a constant pressure and that some people live from the uh, constant state of everything really needs to be aligned around me. And then sometimes we we live in a world and some people have a you-centered kind of life. Uh, there are people sometimes that are they're very compassionate people, they're very empathetic people, they're very people people, but all of their decisions, all of their considerations, uh, everything they do is about you. It's about the other person. And so they're constantly aligning or realigning themselves uh, because of you, because of other people. Other people maybe that are important to them. Other people that are in their, their realms of uh, existence. And so they're constantly uh, aligning all of their ideas, all of their morals, all of their uh, dreams, everything towards other people. And so these are people sometimes that are very considerate, they're very caring, but their life centers around other people. They're, they're sacrificial to a, to a detriment. And so sometimes those people find themselves in a situation that I call when hurting you, uh, when helping you is hurting me. And so it becomes a life where helping you winds up hurting me. And so those are people many times that, that uh, live a hurtful life, that hear fearful, non-decisive, non-courageous lives because their lives are built around you. It's built around other people. And then there's a third type of approach and alignment that the scripture teaches and that God desires for us, and that's a God-first approach. It's a God-first approach. And in the the God-first approach, it's exactly what it says. It, It puts God, God's interest, God's principles, God's heart, God's desire, God's purposes, it puts that at the forefront. And it works to align its life in relationship uh, to that. That it's a God-first life. It's a life that Jesus shared with his uh, disciples in Matthew chapter 6. When they were very concerned about their lives and how their life was going and how am I going to take care of this and how am I going to take care of that and how am I going to eat and what about a job and what about a place to live and all of those different things. And, and they're becoming really anxious about it. And they, they begin to talk about it. They're a little bit concerned about it. They're a little bit fearful and anxious about it. And, and so they begin to talk about all of these things and, and Jesus kind of realigns them and aligns them to what they really should be thinking. And he tells them this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, the unbeliever, the person that has, doesn't have God, the person that doesn't have a relationship with God, 
The person that doesn't let God be in the midst of or the center of their life, he said, they, the, that, that unbeliever, that's the way they think. That's the way they think. That's the way they feel. That's their approach to life. I've got to figure it out. I've got to figure it out. He said, but you're believers, he told his disciples, so you're not like that. You're not relegated to that kind of alignment or centeredness. He said, you're believers, and as believers, it means this. As believers, Jesus said, I want to remind you that just like your heavenly Father is concerned about the flowers of the field and the birds, and the birds are surviving, and the, and the, and the birds aren't living in stress and aren't living in worry, he said, in the same way, you need to remember that your heavenly Father cares about you that way. You're a believer. You're a child of God. And so God cares about you. He said, and if God cares about you, then God cares about all of the other aspects of your life. Big ones, little ones, and everything in between. He cares about them. He said that because God cares about you, he knows you need to eat. He knows you need to work. He knows you need a place to live. He knows all of these things. And because your heavenly father knows these things, he's going to take care of them, not because he's concerned about those things. You're concerned about those things. God's not concerned about those things. He said, but because he's concerned about you and you're concerned about those things, God will take care of them because he'll take care of you. One of the greatest stories that I love in the Bible is the story about, about Jesus and they've just fed the 5,000 and they've taken up 12 basketfuls and the Bible said they go immediately get into the boat and as they're in the boat, it, it says that Jesus went to uh, sleep uh, on the boat and a storm came up. Now, it's a, it's a great story, and they get very concerned that Jesus doesn't care about them, and uh, like they're going to perish in the midst of a storm, and he's just watched, uh, they've just watched him do a miracle. But here's what I love in the Bible. Most people uh, overlook little words in the Bible. I think little words means big things. It said that Jesus was resting his head on a pillow in the boat. I, I, I like that because it appears to me that Jesus didn't nod off because of the waves. He planned to sleep. He planned to get some rest. You don't take a pillow with you unless you plan to sleep. And so it said he was resting his head on a pillow. In other words, he wasn't just sitting there and all of a sudden, you know, how you are, you know, nodding off. And they found him. He nodded off to sleep. No, it was a very intentional action. It shows us the fact that Jesus, such confidence in the Father, such confidence in his power, he winds up later telling them about the storm. He said, listen, I love you, I care about you. Do you think I would let you be destroyed in a storm? They should have been playing slip and slide on the deck. They, they should have been absolutely enjoying this like an amusement park ride. And yet they had wasted so much time and worry and anxiety. How much of your life do you think, if we calculated it out, if you had to keep a record, how much of your life do you think you have lived in anxiety, worry, and fear? 
Putting God first and a God-first life is about being able to live your life that is not a me-centered life, it's not a you-centered life, it's a God-centered life. It's, it's not a life that is lived horizontally, it gives horizontally, but it's a life that draws strength and lives from a vertical relationship with God. In Romans uh, the verse that we've been uh, following through in Romans chapter 11, it tells us these words. It says, everything was made by him, everything is sustained by him, and everything is for his glory. Everything for his glory. You see, a God-first life, that's what it looks like. It looks like a life that recognizes, in alignment with God, that recognizes everything is because of him. Who I am, what I have. My talents, my gifts, and my abilities. Like, God, you came downloaded with that. Do you realize that? Like, when you were in their nursery, they didn't line up babies and bring the parents in and say, hey, we've got this little injection here in, in, in the form of a, 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 you know, a booster vaccination, a shot, whatever you want to call it. And, and so we want to know, hey, what, what type of strengths would you like us to shoot your kid up with? What, what, like a, what kind of gifts would you like them to have? What, what kind of personality would you like them to have? Some of you are sitting there saying, oh, dear God, I wish they did that. I wish they would have done that. No. And yet when that child starts growing, you see it. You see that they have a different personality than the rest. You see that this child you can just look at and they'll straighten right up. This child here, this child here, it just won't work that way. That child needs a southern mother. <laughs> you know, the kind of mama that tells you things, you know she loves you when she tells you, I will rip your arm off and beat you half to death <laughs> if I see you do that again. Oh, mom, I love you too. You are just the most loving, caring mom. You see what I'm saying? And, and, so we know they're all different because God deposits all that. God creates that. And so Paul said, we realize, first of all, that everything comes from God. Whether you know it, whether you can figure it out, whether you see him, whether you believe in him or not. We often say this. People say, well, I don't believe in God. That's okay. God still believes in you. He still believes in you. He knows what he's done. He knows what he's created. He knows who you are. He said, not only is everything created by God, everything is sustained by God. That everything, that in the end, everything is sustained by God. In other words, not only did it need God's help to get started, it needs God's help to continue along the way. In other words, you're not, it's not like God just designed your life to create your gifts, to create your abilities, to uh, create your personality, and then just turns it over to you and say, hey, it's one big rat race. Just, it's an experiment. Just do with it what you can. He didn't. He created it, and he created in you this place, whether you know it, whether you believe it, whether you accept it or not, that there's still things in your life that you can't control, you can't direct, that you're going to need the help of God, the help of a creator. And he said, and the third thing is, in a God-first life, is that everything really is about the glory and the greatness of God. 
So I want to draw attention today. If God is to be first in your life and you have a God-first life, in that God-first life, how do you put God in his place? Like, how is it that you put God in his place of being number one? What does this type of life look like? And we're looking at it every week in different components, but today I want to look at it out of Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 10, and I want to talk about putting God in his place. And this is what it says in Proverbs chapter 3. Can you pull up verse 5 through 10? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 10. I'll give them a minute to pull that up. Now, I want to show you three things today. Three things that the, that the proverb writer writes here. Three things that we can pull from here that is what you use to be able to put God in his place. And this is what he writes. He said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and take and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you, that you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your, fat, uh, your vats will overflow with good wine. Yeah, I want to tell you about three things that, that this, is a, this is Solomon. The wisest man, one of the greatest kings that Israel ever had, a man whose heart was really after God, and uh, he's writing. He wrote three books in the Bible. He write, uh, he, he's writing here uh, in the Proverbs. It's, he's writing as, a, as a, a man who is a father. And he's telling his, his son in particular, but it's going to be for all of his children destiny. It's recorded. He's sharing with him these principles of life. And so he's writing to him, and he actually tells him in the first few verses here, he said, son, listen to what I'm saying. Heed to what I'm saying. I remember my dad saying that all, so many times growing up. Dad would say, if you would just listen to me. Anybody else had a dad like that? If you would just listen to me. If you would, and, and I would like, I don't know how to say it without getting in trouble, I don't want to listen to you. That's the point. You're not getting it. <laughs> you're, you're not getting it. And he's, if you just would listen to me, if you just listen to me, and now dad's gone and there's so many times I think, I wish I could just call him and listen to him. And so Solomon is writing to his young son, and he's, he's teaching him principles all through the Proverbs. He, he teaches, Proverbs is a great book, 31 chapters. You could read one each day. That could be a simple devotion for you. It'll grow you in your leadership. It'll grow you as a human being. It'll grow you as a man or a woman. It, it'll grow you, and, because he addresses everything in Proverbs. He addresses finances. He addresses relationships. He addresses uh, women and men. Uh, he he uh, addresses wealth. Uh, he addresses bosses. He addresses employees. He addresses a catastrophe. Everything. Just giving principle. Just setting down, listing all of these principles. And so in this particular one, he's talking in these first few chapters, he's talking about wisdom. Wisdom. And, he, and he's trying to teach his son and say, son, it's good to have understanding. It's good to have knowledge. It's good to have the knowledge to know how to do something. And then it's good to understand part of why you're doing it. He said, but what you really want, what you really need to get is wisdom. Wisdom. 
He said, be, and, and he describes wisdom like a person, like a, a companion to you. He goes on to tell him, he said, wisdom is actually better than having silver, gold, rubies, or anything else. And he's teaching about wisdom. And as he gets to chapter 3 here, he, he puts this verse in, related in the midst of this wisdom, where he tells his son these three things. And so these are the three things that I want to share with you today. Number one is this. The first thing is trust God before trusting anything else. Trust God before trusting anything else. Notice what he said there in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Look at what he said here. He said, trust the Lord with all your heart. In other words, there are things in your life that you, you trust this, but you don't trust it with all of your life. There are things that you trust over here, but you don't trust it with all of your life. There are some things you trust Dave Ramsey to say about your finances, and there are some things you don't trust because he, in other areas, I think there's greater wisdom. There are certain things that, that you entrust to people that you don't trust to other people. He says here, but the one person, the one thing, the one relationship, the one anchor of trust in your life should be your trust in God in all areas and all ways. And usually that's our biggest attack in our life is to be able to truly trust God. This is what Jeremiah said in chapter 17, verse 5 through 8. Look at what he says. He said, this is what the Lord said. In other words, he don't want to confuse it with this is what Jeremiah thinks. He said, this is not what Jeremiah thinks. This is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans. In other words, it is inevitable you're going to let down if you put your trust in humans. How many have done research on that and tested it yourself and figured out it, it, it's a true state? Okay. He said, cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. In other words, he said, a person has a problem if there's something in the world that they trust in, but they don't trust in God. He said, we, there's things in the world, understanding and stuff, that we can put trust and confidence in, but he said it needs to be mixed with and alongside of and aligned with the trust of God. For instance, sometimes, you can leave that verse up there because I'm going to play with it for a little while. Sometimes it comes, this is the big debate sometimes that comes in the church or with, or with Christians or between non-Christians. It's the difference between science and faith or science and religion. As if the two of them have to be exclusively individual. And yet they don't. They don't at all. That it is possible that as you're trusting in God, you can gain great understanding, great knowledge, great wisdom from science. I knew, you know, one of the things that had always been in my heart is, is I had wanted to help people. And so I went to nursing school and was going to go to medical school. And, and it, was, it was great. I had this tendency, still have this tendency to lean towards helping people. But my friend, I needed to learn a few things about the human body so that if I was going to work on it, I'd be working on the right things. That's kind of important. 
And, and so there's so many things. They're not exclusive one against another. And so people will try to do that. They'll try to just mere, mere wisdom here or mere wisdom. And then there's people that, that there are people that are into science that say that, I, that you can't, if you're into science, you can't believe God. You can't believe about God. You can't believe all of these things or whatever. I, I don't think that's so. And then there are people over here with religion. Oh, if it's religion, you don't, you, you know, if we have faith in God, that's all we need is faith in God. Uh, uh, we just need faith in God and, and, and forget all of this other stuff and forget all of this other science. You are a scary person. Because you'll do a lot of things wrong in life when you didn't need to. He said here, Cursed is those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength, and they turn their hearts away from the Lord. He goes on to say, in the next verses there, he said they're like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. And he said they're stunted, they're stuck somewhere. They're stuck in the present. They're stuck in the present realities, but they're all going to come to places in their life where there are going to be human things, emotional things, love things, spiritual things that's, that whatever they're trusting is not going to help them. Their science, money, whatever it is, it, it's not going to give them the answers that they need. He said they're going to be stuck with no hope for the future. They will live in a barren wilderness and uninhabited salty land. He says at one place in the Bible that they're ever trying to find knowledge, but that knowledge is never bringing them any peace or wholeness. Never. He said, but blessed are those who trust in the Lord and who have made the Lord their hope and their confidence. In other words, in all of their pursuits, the end of it is hope and trust in God. It helps you to take action despite what you see, despite what you don't see, despite what you can already know or figure out or calculate, or despite what you can't calculate, what you can't figure out, what you can't explain. Man, we have, we have such incredible, in, in, incredible formulas in math, such incredible formulas in the world. There is still no formula to figure out love. Like what that is. Like when the, when the kids were growing up, I, I, as I studied that, looked at my own life, I, I figured this out. If my kid could ever come to me and tell me they were in love with somebody and convince me of it and explain it to me, I wasn't sure it was love. But the kid that came to me that said, I don't understand it. I don't quite know. I can't quite figure it out. But, but there's some, I, I feel, and we could talk that out. Then actually, it's love. So we, we can't figure out. We can't figure out what could we do in our world. We, we can have all of the debates about, you know, building bigger prisons, creating uh, gated communities, you know, taking weapons away from uh, certain people, uh, you know, getting a mental health help that we need, and all of these different things that, that have valid points in different ways. And we could do all of that. But here's the problem. We still don't have that formula or the science of how do you stop hatred from being in their heart? How do you stop evil from influencing? Like we don't have an answer for that. There is no legislation. There is no, even the psychologist and, and all. They, they, they can't figure that out. They can't come to the understanding of that. So the first thing is 
Trust in him before you trust in anything else. In other words, turn to God before you turn to anything. It doesn't mean turn to God and nothing else. It means turn to God before anything else. Turn to God before anything else. In other words, you do need medical advice. You maybe do need mentorship in the world. You maybe do need counsel on something or help on something or whatever. But this is what he said. He said, make sure, if you're a believer, make sure you're not just turning to those things and not turning to God. He said, if you'll turn to God first, God will actually direct you. He'll direct you to the right thing, to the right people. To the right source. So many stories, so many things I could share. I just, I don't have time for this one. Here's the second thing that he, second thing that he tells him here. Is ask God before asking anyone else. Ask God before asking anyone else. Look at what he says in Proverbs 3, 6, 7. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. I love what he said here. He said, Not only do you need to trust in the Lord, but you need to seek him. We call this praying and asking or whatever terminology you want to use. In other words, he's saying, hey, before you ask anyone else, always ask God. Involve God, ask God. Now again, it doesn't mean God wants, God is not saying exclusively ask me and don't listen to anybody else. Don't leave from here. Teenagers don't leave from here and say, pastor, preach, I ain't got to listen to God. I ain't got to listen to anybody else. It's not always, because he goes on a few chapters and he gives you an understanding of what a fool is. And he said a fool is someone that doesn't seek out counsel and doesn't seek out wisdom. It also teaches us and tells us that one of the ways that we know something is God is that when we hear it in the mouths of two or three witnesses. Now I should say two or three witnesses that are godly people. Not two or three witnesses that are our friends who love us and wouldn't want to tell us anything bad. So he said here, you've got to ask God before you ask anyone else. James 1, verse 5 through 7, look at what he says here. He said, if you need wisdom, he should have just started and said, you're going to need wisdom. That's what I would have said. I would have just said, you're going to need wisdom. He said, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, Be sure that your faith is in God alone. Don't waver. For a person with divided loyalty is unsettled as a way of the sea and is blown and tossed by the wind. He said such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. What is he saying here? He's saying this. He said don't ask God just as a religious move. Did you hear what I said? Don't ask God. In other words, you're asking God, but you know what you're going to do. You're asking God, but you already have it planned out. Like you're asking God, but all you're wanting from God is to kind of get the approval, right? So that you can say, the the Lord led me to do this. It's like those people that that want to sing in church and they can't really hold a tune. And and they'll, they'll always preface it with this, the Lord gave me this song. The Lord gave it to me. And then they sing it and you want to say, give it back to the Lord. It's not for you. You see, there there are a lot of people in life and in our lives, what they want to do is it's a religious play. It's a religious act. I'm going to turn this way to make you feel better. Some of you are like that. 
You think, plan, and decide, and then ask God. So when somebody said, did you pray about this? You could say, yeah, I, I prayed about it. Yeah, nine months later. Yeah, a year after you'd put everything in place. What he's saying here is he's saying this. He's saying, ask God that God will give you direction and God will give you wisdom because wisdom has great value. It has wonderful value and God knows what you need. Prayer, in other words, he's teaching us here is that prayer, the reason we pray is to have oneness with God. You don't pray and ask God so you can get something. You pray and ask God so you can know something. You see, Jesus describes it in John chapter 17, and he said, I and the Father are one. And when he was praying, he said, make me one and make me more one with you. The purpose of prayer is to develop and nurture and maintain oneness with God. It's not to come to God to ask him for something. It's not to come to God when you have a need or and you, when you need a bailout. God is not the government. You don't come to God like that. What he's saying here is that there should be this relationship that you have with God that if you will seek God, if you will ask God, if you will pray, then he said God can show you what to do. And the way to do it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All of these things shall be added unto you. That's what Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 6 with his disciples. He said, quit worrying about all these plans you're under the stress and your anxiety under the stress to make. He said, if you will put that same effort, that same energy into being one with God and oneness with your heavenly father, then you'll have this confidence. Your heavenly father is never going to do anything to destroy you or bad for your account. Your heavenly father is there and he's going to provide for you. And he's going to show you how to provide. Ask him. He said, ask him. And, and so James said, if you lack wisdom, the place to go get wisdom is from the Father. You don't go get wisdom from the library. You don't even get wisdom from old people. I, I know some old people. You don't, want any, you don't want any wisdom from them. Right? I mean, there are some old people I would sit down in life and I'd get wisdom from. I really, I mean, I would. I'd, I'd, Willie Nelson is not one of those people. And this is a guy can't hold his life together, his family together, his finance together, any, anything like that. So he just stays high all the time. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I guess that can be a solution to life. Some people I want wisdom from. Some people I don't want wisdom from. He said here, you get wisdom from God. You can get knowledge, you can get understanding, you can get skill, you can get mentorship and coaching. I do that, that's, that's part of what I do every single day of my life. But wisdom. So that's why I tell people, for instance, people sometimes want to make appointments with me on Monday. Don't. Don't ever make an appointment with me on Monday. Because I'm not smart on Mondays. I'm tired. I'm spiritually give out. I'm physically spirit. I, I'm not smart. I'm not smart. I, I can promise I'm not always a happy person on Monday. I, I will smile on Mondays. But inside of me is like, could we hurry? Could you have a point? Do you, is there a point we can get to? So I'm not going to be your best example on Mondays. I'm not. 
What is it in your life right now that you need wisdom? Like you, you really need wisdom. The ability to not just have knowledge and not just have understanding, but wisdom is the ability to know how it all fits together and what it means. So he said, ask. So the first thing is, trust him before you trust anything else. Number two, ask him before you ask anyone else. And number three is honor God before honoring anyone else or anything else. Honor God. Notice what he says here. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth and, everybody say and. And with the best part of everything you produce. So he's saying two things here that's really important to understand this in honoring God. He said, you honor God not only with what you already have, but you honor God through a portion of everything you get. He said, and. So he said, honor the Lord with all your wealth. That means all your substance, all of your assets, everything that is your life. He said, you honor the Lord. And he said, you honor the Lord also then with everything else that you increase in or that he adds to your life later on. Make sure you're using that and aligning it to be able to honor God. The word honor here, the word honor means is kebab, which means to worship God or to glorify God. And so basically he's saying wealth is for worship. Wealth is for worship. Wealth is so that you can worship God and glorify God by being the person he wants you to be and doing the things that you can do uh, in the world and in the earth. Honor here means to regard or to treat with respect, to treat with admiration, to give it special recognition. So he's saying here you need to worship God before you're working on anything else. Before you work on anything else, you worship God and honor God. And he said, so there's two things you do here. Look at this. He said, you be a good steward with everything you already have. In other words, the total of all of your assets, the total of everything you have, the, not only your, your time and your talent, your money, your, your gifts, everything, he said, you honor the Lord with it. And, and so what he's saying is you've got to treat it in a respectable way. You... you you, you honor God by using what you already have in a way that honors God and in a way that honors what God wants. That's one way. But the other way is to look at what you have and to honor it, to respect it. Don't believe God for a Cadillac if you hate and can't treat your cavalier right. We live in a society where we want more Build more, get more. It's all about more, more, more. That we really many times do not appreciate what we have. We just don't. This is the biblical word, and we're getting ready to close. This is the biblical word for stewardship. Stewardship means that you take what you have and you respect it and you honor it. It means the substance of everything you have, your, your total assets, everything that you have, everything that belongs to you, and everything that you could use in any way to make the world a better place. To make the world not only a better place, to make the world a place which God desires. Now, we're not going to fully be able to create that through our human efforts, the Bible said there's going to become a time where God himself is going to have to intervene in the world and God himself is going to take over and he's going to bring judgment and reward and he's going to create the everlasting place that we live with God where there is no tears, no sin, no brokenness, no hatred, none of these things. 
that ultimately God will have to do that. So I don't want you to think I'm teaching that we have the power to create some kind of kingdom utopia. We don't. But every one of us in this room, every one of us listening, we do have the power to be an agent of God to make this world a better place through what we do and through being able to use what we have to do that. And I want to ask you this question. Last week, let's just think of last week. Let's just think of the last few days. How have you made the world a better place? Or have you really been wrapped up in it's just about you and making something better for you? And what would better look like for you? Listen to me, my friend. Don't tell me you care about people. And you drive by a neighborhood that is crime-riddled and broken and impoverished. And you don't want for their kids what you want for your own kids. And you don't want for their families what you want for your own family. That's what it is for us to honor God with what we have. It says that I not only want certain things from my life, I want certain things for everybody's life. For everybody's life. So it's not about, look at, here's the power of this. The power of this is, he said, use what you already have. And then he said, use everything that you increase, the first fruits of everything, the tithe and all of that. Use what you give there. So use both of those ways. Honor God with both of those things. And so here's the power. When you understand that wealth is worship, when you understand that he says here, honor the Lord, he didn't just say give to the Lord. He said, honor the Lord. There's a way you can give to God and it not be honoring. Cain and Abel are an example of that. One honored God, one didn't honor God. They gave it angrily and with greed. And God says, that's not the kind of giver. Paul goes on to write like, he said, that's not the kind of giver God wants. God doesn't want a, a grudging. He wants a, a, a giver that's joyful. And he doesn't want martyr complex. Oh, I got to get up. I got to go to work because I got to feed these kids. So here's what he's teaching us, and it's simply this. You honor God not with what's in your hand. You honor God with what's in your heart. Now, if you truly honor God in your heart, you'll use what's in your hand for the glory of God. But make no mistake that just because you have it in your hand and you give it to a worldly cause, even something that, that would, you think would impress God, if your heart's not right, it didn't honor God. It honored you. Matter of fact, Jesus said this, and this is what he said of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the priests. He said they give and they want everybody to know what they've done. He said, and what they need to know is they already have their reward. That's what they wanted. That's what they got. He said, but your heavenly father, he's looking for people that will honor God with their heart. And sometimes they don't let their left hand know what their right hand's doing. That's Teresa and I. I'm the left hand, she's the right hand. Sometimes I don't let her know what I'm doing. No. Sometimes she's told me, don't tell me, just do it. <laughs> just use your wisdom, just do it. God 
God first starts with what is in your heart. And what is in your heart will direct and move you to do whatever is in your hand, whatever is in the hand of what you already have, whatever is in the hand of what you get. It's wonderful to have new tile in a kitchen. But if a child drops and spills a glass of milk, remember that the tears of the child are more important than the new floor. And yet so many times, that's not the way we operate. You want to honor God? You're a dad here today. You want to honor God? You're a man. You want to be, you want to be a man of God. You, you want to be this type of person. You, you don't want to live this stunted life, like he said, like a, a shrub that's just growing in the wilderness. It can't get the extra nourishment or whatever. It, it just depends on an occasional rain or, or sunshine. He said, or do you want to be that one where the lid is taken off and you flourish like a tree that's planted beside rivers of, uh, rivers of living water and the fruit, you just constantly have fruit in your life. Here's the way, three very simple things. God didn't design things to be complex. And it's just this. Honor God before you honor anyone else. Ask God before you ask anybody else. Trust God before you trust anything else. Not exclusively together, but always know what goes first. Always know what goes first. I need to go talk to them. I need to get some advice. I need to get some direction. But what comes first? Have I talked to God about it? Have I prayed? Have I, have I sought the Lord? Trust people. I need to trust them. I need to trust them to help me. I need to trust them. And to, but first, I need to trust God. I, I got to trust God first. I need to honor. I need to give. I need to help. But but first, I need to make sure I'm honoring God before I enter. I need to honor my bills. I need to honor the commitments I made with my bills. I need to honor that. I, I need to do that. I need to pay my Netflix bill. Not only because I need what's on Netflix, because Pastor Ray is invested in Netflix. I want to help his life. And... He said, honor other people. Honor your commitments. Honor men. Honor your payments. Honor that. But honor God first. Always know who's first.